Well, hey, Trademark, it is another Wednesday, another week of quarantine. Uh, miss you guys. We'd love to connect with you in any way possible, whether that is through Zoom, through a text or call, through a, even Fortnite. I know I've, I've played with a few people now through that. It's been awesome just to get to connect with you and hear how your lives are going. Looking forward to see you again. Hey, we are in, I, I think this is the fourth week of Unstoppable. We have just been getting, clicking through this series. It is going by. It seems to me like quarantine is going faster than I expected. It felt like April dragged on forever. And now, in my experience, May is just flying by. I have enjoyed connecting with you guys on Zoom. Don't forget that every Friday we had a great Bible study last week. We went deep into some really cool things. Thank you those of you who are here for it. Every Friday at 1 p.m. you can join our Zoom Bible study and we'd love to connect with you and dive deeper into the text there. Also just fun to chat with you, hear about your lives, see your faces. So keep gearing in for that. Well let's dive into the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 10 this week. If you have your Bibles, you you can turn there. If you don't, you can pause the video, grab your Bible, grab some paper, a pen, whatever you need to do to engage with this message. Make sure you're prepared to do that and hear the Word of God preached and proclaimed. As you're turning there, just give you a recap on where we've been. We've been in our series, Unstoppable, which is tracing the expansion of the church, the expansion of God's kingdom through Jesus, that when Jesus dies and, and resurrects, he ascends to heaven, but he doesn't stop working. We can often think that uh, Jesus went to heaven and now he sent the Holy Spirit, and so we don't really worry about Jesus. He's the guy who died on, our, who died on the cross for our sins way back then, but, but now we interact with the Holy Spirit. But no, through the book of Acts, Jesus is still ruling and reigning as the king of the world, as the, the ruler of his church, the leader of his church, ministering through the Holy Spirit, growing the church in incredible, unexpected ways. Last week, Pastor Gabe did an excellent job taking us through Acts chapter 9 and the totally unexpected conversion of Saul, who was a man persecuting the church, and the Spirit shows up and Jesus opens his eyes, literally, to see who he is, calls him, brings him to faith, and it's something you would never expect. One of the phrases that, that stuck in my head and my heart from last week was, was this phrase that Pastor Gabe used, when you least expect it, expect it. When you least expect it, expect it. And what that means is there's times when it can seem like all hope is lost, like the, the world is just going to hell in a handbasket. And this is how the early Christians felt. You know, Saul is persecuting the church, ravaging the church is the word that Luke chooses to use in Acts chapter 9. Saul is ravaging the church. And yet, at, at the time when you would least expect it, God shows up on the scene, does this incredible work in Saul's heart and in his life. And, and in an instant, 
instant changes him from, from this, this criminal man persecuting the church, killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, into a man on fire for the gospel. And so we're going to see Saul again later in the book of Acts as, as he continues to preach and proclaim the word of God. But, but right after this story of the unexpected conversion of Saul, we get an unexpected journey for Peter. I've called this message an unexpected journey, which right there just puts my cards on the table and tells you how much of a nerd I am. An unexpected journey. And what I love about what God is doing, what the Spirit is doing in the book of Acts, is He is showing us that, that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for, for the most evil, heinous people that we could imagine, but the gospel is also for those that we would never expect. One of the issues that we run into when we read Scripture, and, and that we run into when, when we read the book of Acts, is that we can often read Scripture as modern American Christians living in Southern California in 2020, and what happens is that we can miss a lot of the finer details that are going on in this story, in these narratives, because we don't read as ancient people who, who are immersed in the culture and the context of Scripture. So one of the things that I want to do for us today as we journey through Acts chapter 10 and get the story of Peter and the conversion of Cornelius is I want to kind of pull back the curtain and bring us into the lives of Peter and Cornelius and, and help us understand what is going on in this story what, what God is doing, and, and why this is such an unexpected journey. We can, we can read Acts and see kind of conversion story after conversion story after conversion story and get the picture that, yeah, God is building his church and he's converting people. And, and that's true on a surface level, but there's such deeper things going on, and I, I, I want to help us kind of engage with the text and get our minds blown. For an original reader, for, for one of Luke's original audiences, for, for, for the person reading this letter for the first time, this narrative in Acts chapter 10 was category-blowing, mind-shaking, mind-bending. They would never have expected this to happen. And so what I want to do is I want to take you there, and, and I, want, I want us to feel the same tension, the same amazement, the same excitement at what God is doing in Acts chapter 10. So let's dive in. We're not going to be able to read every verse, but I'm going to highlight just a few things for you. We'll start by reading a few verses in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. At about the ninth hour, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who is house, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they're on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, 
kill, and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having been made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one who you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his household and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We'll pause right there, and and, and I want to just do a little bit of work at understanding who these people are. So Luke introduces us to, to first a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what's known as the Italian cohort. And so Cornelius is a leader in the Roman army. There would have been 32 Italian cohorts in, in the area that would have been made up of volunteers, men of outstanding allegiance to Rome, and Cornelius is their leader. So he would have been, uh, uh, immediately Luke is cluing us into the kind of person that Cornelius is, kind of his, his character, that he is an upstanding man. He's a man of good character, a leader in the army. There's kind of a theme in Luke of centurions are always the good guys. As, as you read just different stories throughout the, the narrative in Acts, Luke always paints centurions as, as these really outstanding men of good character. They're, they're all always the good guys, and, and so we're, we're drawing into that theme, but we'll also know, if we are an original reader, we'll, we'll understand that a centurion is not a friend to a Jew. A, a centurion represents the opposing force of Rome. It represents the, the forces of oppression in the society. It, it represents the, the, the very people who want to destroy God's people. It, it represents this opposing, invading nation, and so any Jew is naturally biased against the centurion. Any Jew is going to look at a man like Cornelius, and, and they are not going to want to associate with him. They're, they're going to assume that he's a man of poor character. They're going to make a lot of assumption about him just based on his 
position. And, and so Luke is telling us, he's a centurion. So, so we should have alarm bells going off in our heads. As Luke is just cluing us into who this man is. And yet we see kind of a contrast in verse 2. He is a devout man who fears God with all his households. He gives alms generously to the people and prays continually. So, so we see on one hand that, that Cornelius represents kind of this oppressive force. But then Luke is telling us in verse 2 that we should understand that he is a good guy in this story. That he is not a, a, an evil oppressor, but he is a devout, a devout man who fears God. There's people like this in this culture. They're, they're called God-fearers, and they would live at peace with the Jewish people. The Jews would have some respect for them, and, and, and they would worship Yahweh as the true God. They weren't pagans. They wouldn't sacrifice at the, the pagan temples to, to the Greek and Roman gods. They would worship Yahweh. They would pray towards the Lord God, but they wouldn't go so far as to be circumcised, nor would they follow the Jewish dietary practices. And so although Jews would have some amount of respect for them, they would still not associate with them. They wouldn't talk to them. They, they would stay far away because these are still unclean people. One of the key themes that just runs through Jewish and early Christian culture at this time is one of the rabbinic laws that Early Jewish Christians and Jews do not associate with people who are not part of this Jewish family, who, who, who don't follow the Jewish dietary restrictions, who aren't circumcised. There, there's a large gap between what is called holy or clean and common or unclean. And, and Jews and God's people are, are, are told by God to live in this holy, set-apart life. They have these dietary restrictions that they need to follow. They, they have this way of living that they need to follow. Even circumcision, they are set apart and marked publicly as being a separate people, set apart from the rest of the world. And, and they value that, that set-apartness. This is to them, this is what holiness is. Holiness is, I am set apart from the rest of the world. I am set apart from my fellow people. I live in a different way. I eat in a different way. I, I, I care for my body in a different way. I, I bear on my body a mark that says, I am different. I'm cut off from, from the rest of the world. I am a different person. And this culture is still part of the, the Jewish Christian church. Christianity is not a new religion. It, it is simply an, an evolution of this Jewish faith. That, that Jesus comes as the fulfillment of all of the Hebrew scriptures and comes to the Hebrew people as their Messiah, their anointed one, their Christ. That's what the word Christ means. It's not just Jesus' last name, but it is a title. It is so, saying that, that he is the one promised to the Jewish people. And, and so for Christians... They don't see themselves as a separate thing from the Jewish faith. They see themselves as the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. As this is all that Judaism was meant to be, and so now we are a sect of Judaism that worships the, the Christ Jesus as the Son of God, the, the one who has come to fulfill all of scriptural promises, and so they still, they still follow the laws. They still follow the dietary practices. They, they don't eat unclean animals. They, they still are circumcised, and, and they still will not associate with Gentile people. They, they will not associate with other nations. So Cornelius, despite being this, this devout man, despite him being a God-fearer, despite him being a, a, a good guy, he is not someone that you would ever expect Peter to associate with. You, and, and you would never expect him to go to Peter and ask Peter to come to him. The, the, the kind of divide here is like, to, to, to put it in a more modern context, 
This would be like a member of the KKK going to a leader in the NAACP and saying, hey, come to my house. Like that is, that is how wild and bizarre this scenario is. This would not happen. Gentiles, the, the, these non-Jewish people, did not like Jews, did not associate with Jews, and Jews did not like Gentiles. They did not associate them. There, there are stories of a, a, a Jewish rabbi who a woman came to him, knocked on his door, and said, hey, I want to follow Yahweh God, and I want to worship him. Can you show me how? And the rabbi slammed the door in her face. There, there was a common proverb at this time that, that you would not help a Gentile woman in, in the pain of childbirth because all you would be doing is bringing another Gentile into the world. That's how much these two groups hated each other. Jewish men would, by, by tradition, begin prayers in the morning by saying, oh God, I thank you that I'm not a slave, a woman, or a Gentile. And, and this is just baked into their culture that these two people groups did not associate with one another. And so when Christianity came onto the scene, these two people groups still were separate people. They did not associate with one another. Jews and Gentiles were, were separate. They, they would never come together, and you would never expect that to happen. And, and so th- this command from God to Cornelius is category exploding. It is mind-bending that he would tell Cornelius to send for a Jewish man to come to his house. We see Peter lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner. And, and again, for someone in, in the original context, this would be alarm bells in their head. Because a tanner is someone who works with dead animals to make leather. And one of the key Jewish laws is you shall not associate or touch any dead animal. That will make you unclean. And so we already see that Peter is kind of a man who, who's willing to live in some category-bending cultures and contexts. That he's staying with a man who is traditionally, by Jewish law, an unclean man. He, he works with dead animals. And, and Peter is in his house. And so we already see this, this promise and this foreshadowing that Luke is giving us of there's some breaking down of division going on in the Christian church. That as people are drawing closer to Christ, as people are, are studying the word of God, they're, they're beginning to break out of some of their old categories, of some of, these, some of these, these divides and these divisions are beginning to break down. We see that Peter is lodging with the house, he's at the house of, of a tanner. And this angel speaks to him. And this, this vision is kind of, kind of this crazy thing because the sheet comes down from heaven with all these unclean animals. And it's the voice of God saying, rise, kill, and eat. And again, for Peter, in his context, this would never happen. God would never command him to eat something unclean. And, and, that's, and that's why his, his response is, by no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I would never do that. And, and the voice comes, God says, what, what God has made clean, do not call common. And, and this is so just mind-exploding for Peter that, that it takes him three different times in, in, in order for him to kind of get the picture. It takes three times of God saying this, to, okay, okay. Okay, all right. And he's pondering the vision, and the Spirit says, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, accompany them. And Peter gets to the door, and it's these three Gentiles at the door. And Peter does what you would never expect. He invites them into his house. This is not okay in a Jewish cultural context. This is so taboo. This would never happen. And yet, God has spoken to Peter's heart. 
And he's begun to work in him and on him and, and begun to give him a bigger vision for, for how the church is to look, for how the world under the lordship of the kingship of Christ Jesus is supposed to look. And Peter invites these Gentiles into his house. And then he does something even more unthinkable. He, he accompanies them on a journey to Cornelius' house. And, and he enters Cornelius' house. I, I, I wish that I could just grab you and, and like scream at you how wild this is. This does not happen. This is unthinkable. And, and yet Peter is blowing up every category He's blowing up every tradition, every custom, every prejudice that that would have been baked into his psyche. He enters into the house of a Gentile. He comes into Cornelius' house and says, hey, I'm here. And and you know how unlawful this is. And so Peter sees this in verse 28. You know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common common. Or unclean. And you see the categories beginning to expand and explode. He says, What do you want me to say? Cornelius gives him the story and says, Well, the Lord's told me to send for you. And so we're here, you're here. What do you have to say? And in verse 34, we can't read the entire message. But, but Peter opens his mouth and begins to preach this message. And it, it is the same message that he preaches to Jews in other places. It, it's the story of what Jesus has done. It's the story of who Jesus is. And, and before he can even finish, in the middle of his message, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius' family. While Peter was still saying these things in verse 44, The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days." Here's my thesis statement this far into the message. The gospel is a barrier breaker. The gospel is a barrier breaker. We've seen all these different barriers that that would stand between Peter and Cornelius. We've seen that there are ethnic barriers. He is a Gentile. He is a Jew. These are different nationalities and ethnicities that do not mix. We've seen that there are religious barriers, that Peter is a man who follows these laws that God has given. He follows these dietary laws. He has submitted himself to circumcision. And Cornelius does not subscribe to that brand of religion. He may worship Yahweh. He may worship God, but he does not follow the law. He is not circumcised. So this is a barrier between them. We see there are political barriers that Cornelius is a centurion. He's a representative of Rome. He's a representative of of this this oppressive force against God's people. Peter isn't, he he is a Jew. And and so by all means, they should hate each other. These are two men who should never meet, who should never talk face to face. And yet, and yet, I, I love Peter's words in Acts 10, 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. And and, and this is what makes this narrative 
the most mind-bending category, exploding story in maybe the entire book of Acts. This is maybe the most incredible story in Scripture outside of the resurrection of Jesus. That's how earth-shaking this story is. The, the, the gospel breaks down every barrier between people, everything that would separate people from one another, every, every barrier that, that would say, you here, me there, and we will not meet. The gospel breaks them all down. The gospel builds the family of God into one family. The gospel is for everyone. God shows no partiality, but he is the Lord of all. Ephesians 2.14 says it this way. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, the wall that would separate people from one another. God has broken it down. In Galatians 3.28, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3, 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The gospel breaks Every barrier that would divide us from one another. We, we live in a cultural context and a time that, that is increasingly looking to barriers and looking to divisions. We, we are looking so often in, in our media, in our culture, we are looking to ethnic divisions. We are looking to racial divisions. Even in, in this last week, the, the division that, that is again struck up on, on social media and, and in our culture between different races. We, we live in a time where, where we are we're struck with class warfare and we are struck with looking at the differences between so many different people. And, and scripture says there's a different vision for humanity. That the vision of Christ for his kingdom is not one in, in which the blacks go here and the whites go here and, and the poor go over here and the rich go over here and, and the immigrants are here and the natural citizens are here and, and, and those who follow this custom are here and those from this culture are here and this country. But in the kingdom of God, all are one body. All are one family. We are together, united as one. And I've used this illustration before, but you have more in common than a Chinese citizen living in the the farms of just the middle of China than you do with your next door neighbor if you both have Christ. That you have more in common with a Christian living in the Middle East in, in a different context wearing a burqa than you have with your neighbor who is not saved. You have more in common with an illegal immigrant crossing the border who has Christ than you do with your own mother or father if they're not saved. That all the things that should divide us, all the things that that we think should make us different, all the things that we think should draw us apart from one another, those don't exist in the church of Jesus. We are one body. We are one people He has made peace by the blood of his cross, scripture says. We are one. 
And, and so in the kingdom of God, there is no room for racism. The gospel leaves no room for sexism. The gospel leaves no room for classism or class warfare. The gospel leaves no room for cultural superiority. The gospel leaves no room for nationalism. But we are one people in one body brought together. We are members of one family. We are citizens of one kingdom. You cannot promote all these divisions and also promote the gospel. The gospel requires a singular focus that says we are one. We are united, Jew and Gentile. Every division is non-existent in the church of God. And so we ought to, in our lives, seek to make that a reality. That, that we do not separate ourselves from, from these other groups or other people that, that in a time when, when we are so tempted to live within our own groups, to, to, to associate with our own people, people, whether, whether that's a racial category, whether that's a cultural category, whether that's a regional category, whatever category that is for you in your life, you are called by Christ to break out of that category, to, to go to people who you would not normally associate with, to bear the gospel, to bear the story of what Jesus has done and say that this man, Christ Jesus, breaks down any hostility between us. And so we can love one another. We, we can be one family with love, brothers and sisters. This is the vision of the kingdom of God and this is the vision of Acts chapter 10. This is mind-blowing. This is category-expanding. This is earth-shaking. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it, that it brings to our lives. Thank you for, for the way that it illuminates prejudices in our own heart. Lord I, Lord, I pray that we would see areas in our lives where we are like Peter or where we are like Cornelius. Will we see places in our lives where we've put up barriers dividing us from other people? Would we see places in our hearts where we have said, this is my group and I won't associate with anyone outside of it? Would you show us deep things in our hearts and pray that your truth and your word would break those barriers down? Would you make us into one body? Would you make our church into one people? Would you make your, your global, worldwide church into one body, one people, united around the truth of what you've done, united around your cross, united by your blood? I, I pray that just as category exploding and mind bending and earth shaking as, as this story in Acts chapter 10 is, so too would be the story of your people today. That, that we would rally together as one people, that we would have greater love for one another, greater respect and understanding for one another. Pray you'd work these things through your spirit and through your power without which we are dead. It's for your beautiful name and your glorious name that we pray. Amen. Love you, trademark. Jesus, you are better than anything in this world. Have a good week. Be blessed. Can't wait to see you on Zoom, 1 p.m. Friday.